21CL Radio. You're listening to the Run Your Life podcast with host Andy Vassar. to the Run Your Life podcast with Andy Vasily, special guest host Frank Statnowski. For the 50th podcast, we decided we were going to flip the script a little bit and interview Andy himself, find out what makes him tick, what got him started doing this podcast, and just talk about a bunch of generally good stuff. How are you, my friend? You know, it was a great pre-show chatting and catching up with you. Uh, You know, my family, Neela, Eli, Ty, and myself... We are here in a beautiful region of Italy, a coastal region. You might have caught the church bells there just as we hit record, but um, I just feel uh, a lot of uh, appreciation for being on Christmas vacation with my family in Italy. We're headed to Germany next and Paris for New Year's and uh, appreciate every day and uh, every minute of it. So I'm doing great. Uh, How are you? I'm fantastic. Before we get started, because I want to dig deep with you and make this a a good show, uh, let's say we give a shout out to a mutual friend of ours that has uh, taken a a turn for the better in his life. Absolutely. So uh, you and I, the reason why we're speaking right now is because we are connected by one Ross Halliday from uh, Scotland who... Ross the boss. Yeah, Ross the boss. The boss man, Ross. Uh, he currently lives in Melbourne, Australia. He is a uh, is just a genuine person who has uh, made a difference to both of us. Um, I've met Ross in person a few times. I know you haven't met him in person yet, but you've connected with him and you feel, you know, one day you guys will meet and it'll be like you've been buddies for years and years and years, but... Um, Ross today signed the contract, um, and I might be letting the cat out of the bag, but it's okay. I, I know he won't mind, but uh, Ross has been uh, the head of school at a private uh, school in uh, Melbourne, Australia. He's been head of school of the elementary program there. Uh, he did a great job. He felt a nudge within him, something pushing him to do something differently, um, his, his wife, Louisa, uh, is, is, has had, uh, multiple, uh, cultural experiences living around the world and together the two of them, along with their beautiful, uh, daughter, Helena have decided to move abroad. So Ross signed the contract today to be head of elementary school at the American International School of Saigon in Ho Chi Minh City. Vietnam. So, uh, yes. I think, yeah. So both you Single and I. standing ovation for Ross. Yes. Claps for Ross. Uh, what an adventure he's in for. And he is without question, uh, going to make a difference at that school. Um, he's a special dude. Uh, I always love connecting with him. And I really feel that in everything he does, both personally and professionally, he is himself, and, and that never changes. And I think that's why I'm drawn and connected to him to such a deep level is that 
you know, I can go to Ross for both personal and professional advice and, and he's always there for me and, and we can talk for hours and hours. So I just wanted to give a shout out to him and, um, anything you want to add to that right now about Ross, you go right ahead. Well, again, he, I mean, he was the fundamental link between you and I, and then you and because of you and I, I wound up talking to John Harper and I just think it's, uh, it's inevitable that kindred spirits, regardless of, you know, where we currently exist on the planet, uh, we somehow manage to find a way to come together. People who, who have uh, common goals, I think generally authentic spirits will find themselves. And I've told Ross this personally, and uh, now's a good a time as any to remind him to thank him for getting this little trinity of uh, awesomeness together. I want to springboard off something you said. You had said that he had like an inner nudge um, to move forward and do something. Now, being as this is your show and I've been uh, and I'm honored to host this, what was the disturbance in the force uh, or the inner workings of Andy Vasily that made him start this podcast in the first place? Why? And why call it Run Your Life? Um, first, before getting into that, I, I just, I, I want to, um, just give a little shout out to you as well, because, um, you are the first uh, guest that I've had on my podcast a second time. And, and I, I talked to you about this idea of, uh, doing a celebratory kind of podcast where you take the, the host seat. So I really appreciate your time and energy and both of us on different schedules. You've been super busy. Um, we've been busy, but we managed to find today. So thank you for uh, taking the time, Frank. I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. Yeah. Um, you know, for, for me, the podcast, um, this nudge, I mean, there's a great book um, by Malcolm Gladwell called Blink. And it's all about that idea that we put so much thought into the decisions that we make in life and we evaluate the pros and cons and we go through this exponentially long process of deciding what's best for us when oftentimes the best decisions are gut instincts, you know? So I knew that I wanted to start a podcast and, and coming from a background of physical education and um, there were a couple of physical education podcasts that were already out there. Uh, and I, I knew the hosts, um, Joey Fight, Nathan Horn, uh, Jared Robinson from, from Australia. They had, they had podcasts of their own. But for, for me, it was like finding my own voice. And I felt that I needed to do a podcast that was about physical education. And I put all this pressure on myself, but I didn't want to copy them. And I didn't want to, uh, you know, do something similar to what they were doing. So I made a couple attempts to start podcasts up from a strictly a physical education perspective. And what I found was that I, I just, my heart wasn't into it. And I did a couple episodes and I just found that I really wasn't into it. And there was this kind of nudge and a push to, to keep thinking about what I might want to do in terms of the podcast. So for me, the the podcast, Run Your Life podcast, um, I finally kind of clicked uh, upon a uh, a moment where I realized that what I wanted to share was was inner greatness, you know. And I wanted there, there was a fundamental shift from some of the earlier shows that I noticed that it, it went 
much more from the run to the life part uh, where, and it almost sounded like you weren't, your ideas were not being, were being contained for lack of a better word, because you were trying to stay within the physical ed formula. But it, I think that once you let that loose and started talking about the bigger issues and just letting it flow, um, that that really ex- exacerbated the, the success of the podcast overall. Yeah, I definitely think you're, you're spot on with that. And I, I think when I let go of the physical education part and I realize that every educator, uh, regardless of who's listening, I believe that every educator, and you would know this uh, as well as anybody else, is that it's about striving for personal excellence and bringing personal excellence out in those who we teach. So I think my podcast, the focus has shifted from a physical education perspective, although I go back to that subject area because I love it and I, I have found so much value in my life through physical activity that I will never lose that strand of the podcast. But, you know, my podcast is is all about a, a journey that allows me to find and celebrate the goodness in others, you know, and, uh, you know, my podcast helps me to learn all the beautiful ways that my guests strive for excellence and have empowered their own journeys by taking charge of their own personal and professional lives. And it's, I think there's something to definitely be said for that. Um, in the beginning, I actually have, it's funny you mentioned that, that you dove right into it. I have a quote from uh, Napoleon hanging above my, my board in one of my classrooms that basically just means into the fray and then figure it out. And regardless of, of, the vehicle by which you get there, uh, you started off with and you keep your, the physical education element is a touchstone. But I think if you're generally passionate, genuinely passionate about anything, um, bigger topics and deeper meaning is revealed. Um, I mean, me, I guess it would be more, you know, literature and things of that nature. You and Ross, um, come from a different type of teaching, but I, Teaching is fundamentally the same if you care. And I think that what comes through in your podcast, having listened to just about every episode, is that, again, not to go, but I'm an English teacher, so I have to emphasize on the words. Run the physicality of it, but also the, the taking ownership of it. Life speaks for itself, but you're. You, as a host, always come across as wanting, you. you're almost like, a fanboy at Comic-Con, you want to know what drives other people, what what other people love. And that, in turn, enhances you and your life experience. Absolutely, 100%. And, and it's kind of that idea of, of that everybody that I've had on my show, uh, including your, your, you yourself, you totally embrace this through your writing the books that you've written, and I've seen the evolution of who you are as an educator through your books, you know, and and you just continually evolve, you know, and and you you learn and you grow and you learn and you grow and you have this desire to always strive for excellence, and and that is similar with every single guest that I've had on that they ultimately want to make a difference to others through the work that they do. And it's, it's kind of that those, um, those common threads and those common tools of success 
that every one of my guests embodies and embraces. And it's those tools that I learn a ton from. So when I'm sitting there and I'm having conversation with, conversations with my guests and I'm writing notes, I, I write notes like Matt in my journal. I'm constantly inspired. I learn, I'm inspired, I grow, I stay motivated. And, and then when I'm sharing these journeys, I'm, I'm sharing these journeys selfishly because I grow and I learn from it, but also I really want to inspire educators to, to find those gems of insight. Uh, so the ones that are listening, regardless if they teach history or PE or English, whatever it is, those, uh, I hope that they find those common threads of excellence that apply to their personal and professional lives, you know, and I think there's something um, very valuable in self-reflection. And I think that being able to do it in a public forum, such as a podcast with, you know, kindred spirits is, is very, it's good for the soul. I know that because of you, I had wound up on um, John Harper show. And, you know, when I was faced with the question of what's the biggest mistake you've made as a teacher and to reflect on things like that, I, I can't, I can't ever think of a time where self-reflection isn't, uh, isn't good, which leads me, if you will, into another question. I know that it's a theme in your life and, and the beautiful Neela as well, but mindfulness is a term that comes up often, um, inadvertently through the podcast. But when you and I talk, it's, it's the specter of that is always hanging around. So feel free to riff off on this however you will. Uh, what does mindfulness mean to you and why should, should we all um, take part in it? I think you and I spoke about it in our podcast, so I'm, I'm actually going to put in, a, in the show notes. Actually, I haven't told you this, but you're writing the show notes for this episode, <laughs> so I'm going to throw that out to you. So you, you're, you're going to do a description of uh, an explanation of this this episode and, and bring it back to me. But um, but I think in looking back, I thought about our podcast that we did, and I think uh, it was uh, my fourth podcast, and I was sitting in the cafeteria at Nanjing International School and yeah, and, little and, kids in the background. That yeah, was awesome. the kids in the background and and I had just revealed to you that uh, I was changing, that I was moving from consulting to this job in Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. And then the next six months after that were the most stressful six months of my life. I will be completely honest with you. I <laughs> was I was consulting, I was traveling, I was working, but at the same time. I was preparing for this move to Saudi Arabia, which meant like a very uh, a rigorous visa application process, uh, doing, you know, collecting paperwork, you know, like unbelievable amounts of paperwork to be able to get the work visa. So I had to travel back to Canada. I had to, and I was, I was stressed. And, and I think I spoke to you behind the, behind the scenes about, um, I had high blood pressure. I was diagnosed with high blood pressure during the medical checks. So suddenly I'm, I'm diagnosed with high blood pressure. I have to take these medical tests to go to Saudi Arabia. And, and they're very, very strict and rigid with their health requirements getting work visas. So, Interesting. Yeah. So I could no longer just, even though I was walking the talk, uh, I had to truly embrace mindfulness, you know, so I've learned more about mindfulness in the last six months than I have in the last five or six years of beginning to explore with it. And it was literally, 
In, uh, in what aspect? How does that, in, in how, in what way did you apply that? I think in, you know, they say mindfulness is about breathing, right? And when you feel all stressed out in any teacher, I'm sure you working in your school and your experience, you can imagine very stressful times, you know, but it's those moments where when you are not aware of how your body is reacting to new situations or stressful situations, not only are your muscles tight and tense, but your inner body is also extremely tense. And when your inner body is, is tense and feeling anxiety, it actually lifts up. So everything presses up towards the heart, you know? So it's all these inner muscles and stress and it's, and it's goes back to maybe our caveman, uh, caveman days of just protecting ourselves. But, um, I think that, uh, really working strategies into, use the calming breath to relax the whole body. You can feel everything drop and, and just kind of calm, just a a more sense of calm. Well, for those of you listening at home, you're not going to get two more disparate um, workout approaches than myself and Mr. Vasily. You have a guy speaking, you know, in Andy who can, run up and down mountains and not be out of breath and go on long runs. And, uh, yours truly, as you well know, um, for 25 years, it was, you know, powerlifting and Spartan races. As you well know, sir, I had, uh, what was referred to as severe exercise induced hypertension. So for anybody out there who's listening, if you, some of you fall anywhere in the Venn diagram <laughs> of that, uh, those extremes, mindfulness might be something you you choose to practice on a daily basis even if it's only your breathing or being awareness your awareness uh, of how stress affects you physically because um i know you're in very good shape i know ross is in good shape you know i was in good shape uh but stress is it's called the silent killer for a reason and i don't think anybody who is emotionally invested in what they do. And I know we certainly are in our teaching and as our job as husbands and parents, um, it's, it's impossible not to be stressed because if you love something and you're passionate about something, you're, you're forever on a treadmill to try to make it better. So I think that is, um, extremely valuable advice coming from you, sir. Yeah. And you know, While I, we're on that subject, hang on, hang on. I'm going to talk about uh, Saudi. Hey, Go ahead. hey, Frank, I'm going to give you a big timeout here. Like a like an yeah. NFL referee giving or, or an NFL coach giving a timeout signal, sure. and I'm, I'm going to throw it back on you for a second to um, just kind of share a little bit because because you you recently just had surgery and and uh, you're kind of going through the process of of uh, I don't want to say reinventing yourself but you are going through the process yeah. of. Um, just discovering a new you after the surgery. So can you just share, before you give me that next question, can you just share kind of your experience with um, going through what you've gone through and anything that you've learned, um, you know, over the last week or month preparing for surgery, uh, but in particular the last week reflecting on uh, your post-op condition? Sure. The well, first, let's you know, we'll get out what happened. Um, 
the surgery itself, they, they removed 80% of my stomach and was referred to as a gastric sleeve. I had a major hernia repaired and I had my gallbladder taken out. Apparently that was in um, pretty bad shape and I was unaware of this. Um, haven't been raised the way I was. Uh, I was never one for, um, well, I guess we'll call bitching and complaining. I just moved on uh, pain, stress, anger, frustration. You just plow through it. Uh, and I had a, a pretty good 30-year run of that from the time I was 18, just um, you know, into the fray and figure it out. And it caught up, obviously. Um, I was diagnosed with the severe um, exercise-induced hypertension. My blood pressure was through the ceiling. Um, had an episode at the very end of my last Spartan race. I think I've ran five or six of those puppies by now where I knew something was very, very wrong. Uh, as my wife, the lovely Dr. Dawn told me, you came within a breath of dying on that mountain. And that runs counter to my long-term health goals and the message I want to send to my kids. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of pre-op stuff, a lot of exams, um, and going into this, uh, I've reinvent yourself is, is a good choice of words because I've always been, you know, the biggest guy in the room, the alpha male type. And this will be interesting because once this thing settles, um, I'll obviously eat very differently, work out very differently. Um, been walking around at a you know, weight from 270 to 285 for maybe the last 20 years of my life. Now I'll be down to like you know, what I weighed in, in high school, basically. Um, and I'll eat differently. I'll function differently, but in a good way. Um, I, I sent enough. I think I taught my own children and my students who are like my surrogate children. I taught them enough about you know, having, you know, healthy life, working out, eating well, uh, although I ate a lot. And now it's time as I'll be, I'll be 50 in a year. I'll be 49 in January. <laughs> Um, it's time for a different lesson. It's it's time for them to learn a lesson about humility and the long road to, to reinventing yourself and, you know, making um, checking one's ego for, for the benefit of everybody. I mean, there's a reason why you're supposed to put the oxygen mask on the airplane before you help others. And I realized that as a father, as a husband, uh, as a teacher and just generally as a friend and a compatriot to people. I'm not, I, I was not as effective as I could be because I was not as healthy as I should be. And that was the mindset I went into it. So I'll be eating uh, mushy stuff and drinking protein shakes throughout the holiday season. But I look at that as a temporary, a very temporary setback to a, a lifetime of, of being a better person for the people around me. And I, I know that sounds saccharine and formulaic, but that's the truth. Hey, you know what? A little cranberry shake and some mashed potatoes, no problem, man. Eh? <laughs> hey, but the well, the idea in January, tell me again, because you just said that you're turning 49 in January, and I forgot that we're both January babies, and I'm turning turning 49 as well. So what's your birthday again? January 21st. Yeah, I'm January 23rd. So we're going to have to somehow connect between the 21st and 23rd to give ourselves oh, sure. a, a pat on the back and a happy birthday to celebrate our 49th year on earth. I say we do something for 50 where we go on one of your hikes or some I love it. run or walk to commemorate how, uh, how awesome we are at 50. I would love that. And we will find a place in the world 
and you you begin to drop the seeds and plant the seeds with your wife. I will indeed. We'll we'll give Ross a year ahead. Uh, yeah, year warning too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. If you don't mind, since we, when you had talked about the the Saudi um, move. I know Canada, China, Saudi, Italy, you, you, my friend, are a world traveler. And during especially this time in our in our world where I don't know if it's because we're more aware of it with social media or the information age or if it's just something that's always existed. But I have to believe that we're more divided and derisive as a people than we've ever been. It's it hurts my heart for as, as big and mean and cynical as I am in some ways it does. It, it hurts my heart and I know it hurts yours, but you've, you've traveled quite a bit and you've seen a few things and heard a few things. And I want to know um, as a student of the world, what is, what is it that unifies us and you know, what do we have? What, what positives do you take from this, from having seen other people and other cultures? I think having lived in, you know, Japan for 10 years and Azerbaijan, a lot of people don't know where Azerbaijan is. And I didn't even know where it was when I accepted the job until I looked in the World Almanac pre-internet days. (laughs) Um, But then moving to Cambodia and China and, you know, I grew up Roman Catholic and I struggled with my religion. I was forced to go to church and I hated church, you know, and I'd go to, to mass on Sundays and I would hate it. And I couldn't wait to walk out the door when, when the, the priest was like, you know, um, peace be with you. That was a sign that the, the mass was almost over. And I was like, yes, it's almost over. I'm out the door. And, and then I went to a Catholic high school where we had to go to mass and we had to celebrate communion and it was the same kind of thing. But in high school, um, I began to find kind of an inner peace with religion, but I couldn't explain it. So my, you know, I, I played American football. I say American football because I've been gone from North America for sure, 20, sure. 20 years. But, um, you know, growing up uh, or going to a Catholic high school, uh, my priests were all amazing athletes. Like one, one of my, uh, priests, one of the priests in my, my high school who was a teacher and a mentor played for the Toronto Maple Leafs in the 1930s. You know, really? so, so a really athletic dude that would, you'd be walking down the hallway to, to the next class. And then all of a sudden I would feel somebody jam me, like shove me into the lockers and my face would hit the locker and it was father. Armstrong, uh, you know, so father Armstrong played hockey. He was a tough guy and he used to like check people in the hallways and have fun with them and, and stuff. But I always went to, to him to kind of talk to him about my inner struggles with religion and everything else. And, and after I left high school, I totally gave up the Catholic religion and it was, it was kind of a, I don't want to say a struggle, but it was always, I always found an inner peace with religion after, you know, in high school as I graduated and in university, when I played American football, I would sometimes find myself in difficult moments where I didn't understand what was happening in life. I would find myself back in church. 
and under my own terms and conditions where I wasn't going to mass, but I kind of sought solitude in just going to the church to say a prayer. And I didn't know what I was praying for. I just found an inner peace with being in the church, nobody else around, maybe 10 a.m. In, uh, in during a weekday, never when it was busy, but I found kind of an inner peace with it. I think one of the key phrases that that you just uttered was on your own terms. Um, I also, as I mean, you know, from our private conversations, I'm a Joseph Campbell acolyte. So I'm, I study religion. I study philosophy and culture um, almost daily, but the same raised Roman Catholic, but did not, did not like being told what to do or subscribe to a particular dogma. And yet my son, Frankie, who my youngest, who was you know, raised in my image also has doubts and questions about the, the, the rigidity of that particular religion. But he went to church with his girlfriend uh, two weeks ago. And he said, you know, when I just sat back and listened to the ritual and let it, let it be what it is, he enjoyed it. And I think that you make an interesting point that when you, when you're allowed to come back in through the door, you choose to come through um, and not the way you're, you're told to. I that think, you can start to realize the, the beauty of it. Yeah, and I think that's what I've what I've come to understand is that everybody, and I accept this now, is that everybody has, and you know, living and working in in different cultures has really been a blessing for us because we, you know, we lived in Japan for ten years, and we used to go to the to the Shinto shrine, the Buddhist shrine, and we used to ring the bell. And it was that that same sense of solitude and inner silence during moments in Japan. Or, you know, being in Cambodia and going to the to the temple there. Same thing. Being in China and, and going to a religious place there. Same thing. It's that inner sense of silence. And I think that what I've realized over the years and, and at this point in my life, what I've come to realize is that God is the goodness within us, you know, and that God is within every one of us and goodness is within every one of us. And, and I think that my challenge now is to find goodness within myself and within others. And I think that's what religion is to me now and what God is to me now. And it, it, it helps me kind of just learn, you know, especially travel and culture, you know, is to discover that there are, you know, there is really divine goodness within all of us, regardless of religion, ethnicity, race, or nationality, that we are truly just one. And all the places that we've been around the world, you know, Saudi Arabia, it's a Muslim country. We work mm-hmm. with with really, really strict Muslim people, but they are beautiful people. They are beautiful people that, that truly uh, are all about the goodness within. And I think in, you know, Neela um, has kind of embraced this idea of uh, namaste through her, her work with yoga and mindfulness. And I just want to read something to you that kind of sums up 
how Neil and I feel about the world now and about what, what God is truly all about, regardless of country or, or race or ethnicity. But I'm going to send this to you, Frank, so that you have an image of this to put in your office. But um, it's Namaste. My soul recognizes your soul. I honor the love, light, beauty, truth, and kindness within you because it is also within me. In sharing these things, there is no difference or no distance and no difference between us. We are the same. We are one. Namaste. And that's such a simple prayer, but it to me sums up exactly what what God is is all about, and what we 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 strive to emulate, and we strive to embrace in our life, and I think that's what I've learned through travel and culture, and working in many different countries, is that we are all just one. I tend to concur. I think that the more we learn, the more simple things become, uh, if you're if you're open to it, and that they're really. In education right now, as I, I constantly rail against, you know, a, a new reform, new paradigm, new this, new that, we we try to reinvent the wheel as a people with just about everything we do. But the answers are really simple at the end of the day, and um, that was beautifully eloquent uh, in that. Just look, I, I recognize the good that's within you because it's within me, and you know, we, you know, as the as the Facebook memes will tell us the. We were all one people until, you know, money, government, politics, and religion divided us. And there's no need for that. There really isn't. I mean, it it allows us then, and consequently, it also allows us then, if we do have differences, to focus on the differences themselves and not what we're told not to like about the other person. Um, Obviously, you've, you've had a pretty diverse between China, Japan, Saudi Arabia, you were raised Roman Catholic. I know you're in Italy right now, so strong Catholic influence there. Um, had some pretty diverse um, goings on there, my man, in terms of who you've interacted with. And the fact that you come away with the awareness that it's that there's a oneness there is encouraging. I have to tell you, that's, that, that's what I will take from this interview, me for sure, that um, someone who's seen a little more of it than I have, uh, still comes away with that sense of singularity. That's very impressive. Well, that's what that's what we we try to really get our boys and our boys are eleven and thirteen. Eli and Ty. Um, ah, you anticipate my next question. Go ahead. Uh-huh. So, I I think that you know just over the last few days being in Italy in such a a richly religious country. And we go to churches and there's an honor system in the churches. And you, you imagine this beautiful church on top of a hill overlooking the ocean. And there's nobody around, you know. So we've seen a bunch of these churches and you, and you, and they leave the doors open all the time, right? So you, you walk into the church and it's so peaceful inside the church. And then there's candles burning and it simply says deposit one euro for a candle. And then you take a candle and you light the candle and the idea is you say a prayer and then you put the candle down. So during this trip, we, we have had the boys light a number of candles and we don't even really call it prayer. We just say, just 
just say a blessing for somebody. Just think about somebody and wish them well. And we don't ask them, who did you wish well for? We, we don't ask them anything. We just say, it's your, just inside your head. You don't have to tell us. Just light the candle. We drop the euro in and they light the candle and they place it down. And it's really beautiful. And, and we went through five fishing villages today. I told you about in the pre-show and each one that we went through had the church. We had to hike up a steep mountain to get there and church bells going and the boys just took their candle and they, they started to take action and they went to the church and they wanted to light and we haven't even spoken about it. So we'll do a debrief at the end of the night as we always do about uh, gratitude and just um, have a conversation at the end of the day, uh, you know, and if they're comfortable talking about what they wish for, then they can share it. But if not, there's no pressure, but it's just that idea. Right. That, Doesn't that go back to what, what you and I found out, you know, the hard way that um, leave the door open, you know, as I always say with my students, the pool's open every day. If you want to jump in, let, let them find it their own way. I think that's, that's eminently, um, practical in terms of getting kids to find their own their own way and never never confuse you know religion with faith and let them find let them find out so if they I love the fact that if they want to talk about it they they can with you guys but if they don't want to keep it private then it's then it's theirs and it doesn't have to be a formal prayer it can be just well wishing someone because then then it does it becomes about the good that's within them I think that's a fantastic way to go about it and I think that's that's what I've, I've learned and what I, I don't want my kids to feel this, that God is some superior authority that judges and can cast, uh, I don't want to say retribution, but, but cast badness on you if you don't live a proper life. No, God is about just talking, talking to whoever it is and just, you know, wishing, wishing well within yourself and within others. So... I think through this journey of life, I hope that my kids really embrace that on their own terms and conditions. Well, that's ironically, as your podcast is entitled Run Your Life, and yet uh, the the opposite seems to be the way to go, where in terms of as a parent, you have to let them run their own. You know, when you become too much of a taskmaster, and I know I've stressed, uh, I have strayed down that path a few times with my own kids, but sometimes letting them find their own way and just knowing that you're there to support them is always the operative choice. For sure. And, um, you know, we, we have a few more days here and then we're moving back to Milan and then we're, we're on to Germany to see friends and our, our, the rest of the trip will be a little more busy, so we don't have this kind of sacred family time. Uh, we'll have a bit of it in Paris, but uh, it's been a really good couple days just to reconnect with the boys with no other distractions. And, uh, you know, obviously being connected on Wi-Fi, they're watching their YouTube videos and doing all that, but we spent a lot of time away from being digitally connected and, and, uh, just reconnecting with, uh, nature. Cause you have no choice here, right? As soon as you step out the doors, the ocean and the mountains are right here. So, um, it's been really rewarding in that sense. Well, I think that's part of what makes your podcast work too, is that although it is 
you know, by nature, we have to use technology to connect. It's two or three people talking. And that is something that has really been, um, unfortunately, speaking as a linguist, lost in our society with cell phones and social media. People don't don't talk anymore or they, or they talk to respond instead of to listen. And they don't look people in the eye. They don't engage. They don't let the conversation lead them into deeper questions of other things. Like I never thought we would get to God in our conversations of your, your 50th podcast, but the, wherever the conversation goes is where it's meant to go. Yeah, exactly. And, and being in Italy, Neil and I recorded a four times mindfulness podcast uh, last night and Neil has shared her idea of this Italian expression which is all about just being the sweet the sweetness of doing nothing the sweetness of doing nothing so neela's just reading a book in the corner but it's this idea uh, translated into english is the sweetness of doing nothing and it being in these small towns here we've seen it we've seen like italians just have their uh, their cafe latte or whatever they drink in the in the morning and they just sit there and just chat no devices isn't isn't that sad that in our culture I, I know myself like here here down in jersey if you were to sit and i because i do this if you were just to sit and watch things like obviously right now post-surgery i can't do anything but walk so i've been walking like a maniac but just to sit or to look around no phone out, no device, have your coffee or have your water and just look around and take, take time. Can, again, one more time. Let's get, let's get the beautiful Neil Steele involved. What was that phrase again? Uh, the sweetness. Dolce far niente. The sweetness of doing nothing. Oh, what a great, what a great concept. Yeah. It's an amazing concept. And, yeah, just to um, to sort of butt in, it's like just looking at Italians and the way that they have coffee in the morning is so social. They don't carry around a portable cup with their coffee and drink and walk and are on their phones. They're in the cafes and they're social and all you hear is buongiorno and good morning and people looking at each other and somehow it must be the the duality of experiencing the opposite where people are in line. Um, and maybe I'm talking more in North America where everybody's just grabbing their cafe latte and they're, they're, they're grabbing the drink, they're grabbing it to go. They're rushing on their way. And there's not that sort of atmosphere of take your time, enjoy this really good coffee, say hello to your neighbor, say hello to the barista who's making your coffee. And it just seems so much more, uh, civilized, right? Right. So it's it's just a nice way to to practice all the good things, which is which is what the mindfulness comes back to. Really enjoying that one thing, not multitasking, and just use it. Sort of imprints on your mind a little bit more when you savor and linger and um, make that eye contact that you were saying. Interesting to you, your choice of word would savor, because I think that um, one of the reasons that to, to bounce back on one of Andy's earlier questions, why I, why I wound up, you know, under the knife, was because of that. I I felt this 
and again, I think you're, you are correct, Neil, that this is almost uniquely North American, this relentless drive to be busy all the time. And you're walking around in a near constant state of agitation where that those few sweet moments of doing nothing um, accomplish a greater goal than just just, you know, civilization and mindfulness in that it does it recharges your batteries, for lack of a better metaphor, so that you can be more effective in the things that you're passionate about. I know that uh, I was going to ask you as one of the final questions, because I know we're coming up on the Christmas holiday like any any favorite Christmas traditions. And I have to tell you, with my kids being a little older, I do love just sitting in the morning and us with our coffee and just talking and, you know, open a couple of presents. But just the, the communion of people taking our time. Nobody has to rush anywhere. Nobody has a game or a practice or, a you know, a, a podcast <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, a book deadline where we can just sit and talk. And I miss that tremendously in society. I do. Uh, I don't like the idea that we feel like we have to be constantly busy um, for everything. Well, that's that's one of the things that Neil and I have uh, tried to really get the boys to experience as a family tradition. They don't always embrace it, but it's this act of gratitude every night. So before the boys go to bed... Um, and before we go to sleep, we try to connect. Um, and we just try to say three things that we're really, uh, appreciative of. The three things that have meant a difference to us. And, and some days are better than others. Some days they don't want to do it. It's kind of like sure. me being in church when I was 12 years old running for the door. But I'm like, this is non negotiable shit here, boys. Like we, we are going to do this and we are going to just connect like this because it's a long-term goal of ours to appreciate, um, the goodness and, and beauty within our lives and within other people. And again, it's a, it's a practice. And some days when the boys are grumpy or, uh, you know, they, they're not in the mood, they still listen to, Andy or I or each other say what they're grateful for and they'll kind of mumble, okay, same thing that you said. But they're still in the circle of listening to other people, looking to the good. And we try to make it one teeny tiny minuscule thing that we're grateful for and then and then a major thing and then something else, a highlight of the day, which is, again, a practice to really keep that focus to we have so many blessings we have an abundance of things in our lives well i think that that's one of those things but i mean as we kind of talked about pre-show you're you're almost never right at a certain point when your kids go through certain ages but that is something that they're going to look back on in hindsight and realize that it made them intellectually unquestionably probably healthier and and spiritually Full, fuller human beings. They're going to look around and they're going to appreciate that when they get older because they're going to see friends and associates that don't have that yeah. and the effect, the, the absence of that in their life. So keep doing it. Keep writing on your chalkboard walls. Keep telling them to be mindful and let them grumble as much as they want. You know more than they do. Okay. Now, Absolutely. hey, hey, Frank, I'm going to throw a reverse question out to the host here. Now, you're the host of the show, yeah? Yes, this is the Run Your Life podcast with Frank Stetnaski. <laughs> yes. 
So Frank Stepnowski as host, I want you to kind of just dig deep a little here and talk about everything you just said about being grateful and all of that. You are a uh, English teacher. You you teach writing. You you are passionate, passionate about it. And I still think of you as the long haired twenty two year old. How old were you when you first got your first job in the in the your trailer trailer park classroom? Twenty two. Twenty two. So what is it? What is it within you? So a lot of the. The people listening are physical education teachers, but in general, people that are committed to their subject areas, when they seek to look, uh, to learn and grow, they really want to get content specific strategies and approaches and different kind of techniques that will allow them to deliver the content area of their subject better to their students. So I want to push that aside. And and I want to kind of just have you dig deep a little bit about your approach going into the classroom every day and your call to action and how your call to action has changed over the years. And just take us through a, I don't know if your class is 45 minutes or 40, how long is your class? Now they're 80 minutes. Okay, 80 minutes. Take us through a typical Frank Stepnowski class, considering that you also have student learning outcomes mandated by the state of New Jersey that you have to meet, right? And testing and all this. Just take us through that generic process of an 80-minute Frank Stepnowski class. Okay, well... To begin with, um, to the overall approach from the time I was the, yes, long-haired 22-year-old rhinoceros in a china shop crashing around, um, the only thing that has changed in my approach to teaching is I've learned to um, control my ego and aggression and focus them in ways that are less um, demonstrative for me, less, I guess, whatever you want to call that, less um, useful for me and more useful for my students. Um, I can, I keep myself level and I dot my I's and cross my T's in terms of the state mandated nonsense so that I can stay in front of the classroom and teach these kids what they need to know. Um, the overall, the, the overall theme of any, Anytime I teach anybody, whether it's adults, kids, my own offspring, um, I, I heard it. I heard this before. It was it was advice from a, a divorce specialist. Uh, the question was, "Do you want to be right or do you want to be happy?" And I want to be happy, so I want my kids to learn. And if that means I have to go about it a different way, so okay, I start a normal class. I know I have bullshit learning outcomes and bullshit paradigms and bullshit, you know, testing that has to be done. And I'll just insert that adverb, you know, for just about anything that they continually change upon us because everything's in flux. So what do you do? You have to find a stability. So the stability is the subject matter. I start, first thing we start with is my students usually come in with questions about life, um, 
most recently, for example, um, Trump wins the election. There's no point in going on in class when these kids have a million questions and they want to be comforted, informed, and usually being informed makes them comforted. Uh, I'm sad to say that I'm probably the most um, neutral or informational person in their lives, so they come to me for uh, a non-biased you know, answer with no ulterior motive. So I'll answer their questions first, whether it's about what we talked about in class or what's going on in the world. Um, they know when the line starts to cross and it's just them talking then to, to keep from doing the, the let the classwork. So once the questions are answered and, you know, they feel safe, uh, at home, we move in, uh, whatever the subject matter happens to be, whether it's short story, novel, whether we're just doing writing, um, always try to keep it funny because I found that people learn a lot better when they're happy. Um, I know that my students have always laughed about the dichotomy because I am uh, as intimidating in the word we're looking for. Um, I can be very demanding, very intimidating, but at the same time, I, I'm, I make a lot of jokes. They laugh. Um, they generally want to come to class. So we're, when we cover the material, I try to keep it funny and I also try to keep it relevant. And if that means I have to read whatever books they're reading, watch the shows they're watching so I can make, you know, allusions to what they understand, that's fine. There's always some sort of quantifiable uh, piece in there, but that's not to appease any state-mandated crap. That's that's so that they know. Um, I, I, yes, I can satisfy my overlords with that, but at the same time, they know they learned it because if I tell them, hey, that's great, you understand that, they're, they're so plagued with self-doubt that if they turn something in or if they say something and they know they know it, that helps. And usually as we move on throughout the – I know this isn't really a – I'm not giving a lot of specificity here, but I don't go in with that. I have a very simple plan of what I want to get done, and whatever method that day gets it done, that's what I do. And it's just you know kind of connecting with them first though, yeah? Yeah, you know this. Uh, if they don't, um, Greg Greg Popovich, uh, coach in the NBA, it, I, I hearken to his wisdom very often, and he had said something along the lines of, "If they don't know you love them, nothing works. But if you if they know you love them, they'll forgive your mistakes and they'll work hard for you." And my kids work really hard for me, and they forgive my misgivings because they know at the end of the day, I care about you first. I get paid to come to this place one way or the other. They're never going to be able to fire me because I got 13 years of exemplary reviews, 25 years of teaching, and I'll put them in my next book if they piss me off. So they're not going to get rid of me. So they know I'm there because I want to be there. And that's important. They know that I'm there because I want to be not to, not to pass some, you know, standardized test, not to make their parents happy because I don't work for their parents, not to make some administrators happy because they know I don't like them. So why am I there? I'm there for, for the kids. And we have to connect, I don't know, on an emotional level first. They have to know that I'm there to protect them and make them smarter, but that I may hurt your feelings along the way, but if you buy in, you'll evolve. And if they buy in, they evolve. That, and they do, and they do. Yeah, and and you're working with older kids too. And Neil and I work with younger kids, so it's 
kind of like the younger kids just embrace the teacher regardless. They just want love and affection, you know, and the older kids through their self-identity and the the evolution of their self-identity, they begin to challenge authority. But They're actually the, taught the opposite, Andy. Most of the kids I teach anymore, the parents or whoever's in charge of them are almost teaching them not to, to, to be blatantly um, disrespectful yeah. or questioning of the people in front of them. I mean, I'm at, I'm at a very definitive disadvantage being a big white male teaching predominantly black and brown kids whose parents, like, th- these kids walk in the classroom looking at me as, you know, the, the, yeah, I'm the poster child for the person you're not supposed to trust. <laughs> and many of them have told me that. They've been told that. So, you know, they have to get over that hurdle first before they even, we're not even at ground zero when they meet me for the first time. Many of them walk in with preconceived notions or um, they've been taught to be, reluctant to listen to me so i have to fight through that before we even get to ground zero and how how do you see how do you see the next few years because you're i know this is you're you're the host but i'm just throwing out one more question is how do you see the last part of your career because you have how many more years teaching oh um, i probably never retire from teaching because i started with when I made the move to the school I'm at, I came from a private school, so they didn't give me all my years. So um, I'm not going to retire as a high school teacher. I'll probably either go back and get my doctorate and teach college or I'll do public speaking, maybe just take the author thing to the next level, open my own school like I've always been threatening to do and do things the opposite of how they do in normal public schools. But I don't know, but it won't be um, – it won't be what I'm doing now. I have, I definitely have some more years left doing this cause I like doing it, but I'm leaving lots of options open for the end. Um, the minute I think that I'm constrained, I always said like the, as long as they stay out of my classroom and give me autonomy to do what I do. If you know what I'm doing is good, leave me alone. <laughs> but the minute they come in and say, no, 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 you have to teach this and you have to teach it this way. Screw you. I'm out. I'll do it my way somewhere else. That's good. Okay. Well, that's enough advice from me. I'm supposed to be hosting this thing. So <laughs> it's time for another question. Today is December 22nd. It is my youngest offspring's birthday. It is Frankie's 18th birthday. Um, you and I have spoken informally many times before. You know that my oldest son, Kane, passed away when he was two weeks old. And um, his influence is, is profound upon me. Uh, even though he was only alive for 13 days, um, my commitment to being relentless in the living of my life uh, in lieu of his informs just about everything I do. Uh, I know that you lost a brother uh, as well. And I was curious to know that what his influence is on your work and on your life yeah, that's, you know, I thought about our last podcast and, and when I opened up your book and I read that part and I I think that I connected to that part in the book where you opened up about that and your experience, you know, going back to work, you had some time off and then you went back to work and you had to deal with the trauma of that experience and yet try to, you know, just work. Um 
just like you, I made a promise kind of to my brothers. You know, I lost another brother as well three years ago to to, uh, to suicide. He, um, you know, the brother that I, that I lost in 1999, he was an amazingly gifted musician, professional musician. And from the time that I, he was seven years older than me, and from the time that the, the really intimate times that I remember him, he always worked with his hands. So he used to build things and tinker and build forts and build models and and this and that. And he ended up um, pursu- pursuing a career in uh, making custom, building custom-made guitars. And... You know, I just, I, I kind of think about his life and what he loved to do. And my other brother passed away. He was, uh, he suffered from major depression. He had gone through hell in his life that we didn't know about till many years later. But he he suffered from depression. Ultimately, he, he took his own life three years ago and I think going through that experience, it's been a, a thing with me that has has really al- uh, not allowed me. But go, growing up in a in a situation like that with drug addiction and depression and all of these things happening, you feel as though you're cursed, you know. And I grew up, grew up much of my life feeling kind of cursed in that sense that all the good things that I was trying to accomplish would be ended in a second because I I just have this background of just being cursed, you know, and that's anybody who has grown up in dysfunction has experienced that kind of thing, you know, but just as you made a promise to your son Cain to live your life to the truest, I learned through the deaths of my brothers that I could honor them by embracing the talents that I have to genuinely embrace the talents that I have and to strive, strive to be happy. And it wasn't until that realization that I was able to understand that I was not cursed, but actually blessed, you know, and I had these, these talents just as my brothers had. And that for some reason, give it, uh, you know, just time or situation, whatever it was, I was allowed to run with my talents, athletic talents. Um, And that's why I say through physical education, sport changed my life because I found sport and I was able to run with sport through my formative years and to find a belonging in, in that sport, you know, American football and that made a big difference in my life. So I think that I honor my brothers through understanding the obstacles that they faced. And I was just kind of left there out on my own where all the damage was already done. And I was just kind of straggling along trying to figure out my way. But I really found my way through sport. And I think ultimately I honor honor my brothers through that experience and just embracing embracing their life through living the life that I was meant to live.
I think it's a very nice living living memorial to, you know, and I, I would have to believe not having met your brothers that that's what they would have wanted for you. Um, certainly to, to be inspirations rather than, you know, making one feel like one is cursed. Yeah. Well, as we, I think it's, uh, I think it's high time. We, we had a couple quick questions here. Oh, I love so it. So first one was going to be, who's your, who was your favorite guest in your 49 podcast? Mm-hmm. I think that's obvious because only one is guest hosting in your 50th. <laughs> so we'll move right on from that. <laughs> when I was on John Harper's show, he asked me what, what was a mistake that I've made as a teacher? So I'm going to flip that around and I'm going to ask you a different question. What do you feel is your most effective technique as a teacher? And then that can be as broad a topic as you choose it to be. What do you think makes you an effective teacher? That's very good. Um, you know, I listened to John Harper's podcast with you and I wanted so much more. It was, it was, you know, I just started listening to it and I just wanted so much more. Um, I think hearing you talk about your mistake and that and emphasizing the mistake, you know, cause you had to talk about that mistake for me, so many mistakes along the way, but ultimately it's about connecting. And I think that's, that's where I, I have really excelled in, in my teaching is, is truly connecting outside my subject area and taking the time to really understand my students and growing up in the international circuit, it's not like you teaching back in New Jersey where you have, how many kids do you have per class? Pretty small this year, about 25 kids a class, maybe less. Okay. So for us, it's probably between 13 and 18. So there's more opportunity to really connect, you know, and I think that's one of, the the greatest strategies that I've worked towards is connecting with each and every one of my students outside the subject area. And, and that has allowed me to excel within my subject area and get them to embrace being physically active for life and all of the things that I've grown up embracing. See what I mean about everything being simple? I mean, there really is no, there are books upon books upon, I mean, I got a book in Barnes and Noble and I laugh at <laughs> all these self-help books about how to be a better teacher. It's not that hard, man. It, it's actually, it's like being a parent. I said, teaching is parenting with a paycheck. It's the hardest job in the world if you care and it's the easiest job in the world if you don't. And it's hard because you have to care. And that means you're emotionally invested in every single one of those individuals. They're not test scores. They're not you know, um, checks to be made on some, um, some box They're they're kids they are living beings and you have to connect with them first. I, I, I was going to tell you what I thought made you a good teacher, but you've answered it. There you go. Why, why do people like us connect and why do people like, you know, like-minded people listen to podcasts like yours because of that, because they're the Ross Halliday's of the world or John Harper's or the other people you've interviewed because we care, we give a shit. And that's, there is no, there's no instrument for that. There's no instrument that measures give a shit. Actually, there is. When they come to your class, willingly, on time, they want to be there. They talk about it outside of your class. They talk, talk about it at home because, you know, it means something to them. So keep doing what you're doing, Vasily. Keep doing what you're doing. I love it. And one last question. Since we're heading out to the Christmas season, 
What is Andy Vasily's favorite Christmas movie? Oh, I love this one. Without question. I can hammer this down right now, and I know you will experience it because you're you're going to be 49, which means we're 48 right now. You're going to be 49 on January 21st. I'm going to be 49 on January 23rd. So if we if we just rewind, hit the rewind button, and we just reverse three decades and imagine little Frankie Stepnowski watching The Grinch Who Stole Christmas Baby. That that is that is the Whoville up on top of the mountain when his heart grows enormous, ginormous, right? Looking down on Whoville after he's stolen all of their presents. That to me is one of the greatest Christmas experiences that any boy could wish for. And and when I was like little town Ontario growing up on Lake Erie, you know. That was the one show every Christmas that I could not wait to see on ABC. Oh, yeah. The, the, and just the sheer fact now that these things are available on demand. Like, <laughs> come on, man. You had to be there for the year without a Santa Claus. Or you missed it till next year. That, I think that's we're losing something in that intensity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, now, Frank, if Frankie Stepnowski, you know what? I'm, I'm going to throw a curveball out to you. Sure. Okay. And this is in, in honor of you, my friend. You know, every episode, I, I always uh, finish the episode with a hot seat question. Yeah? Okay. Okay. So instead You want to of, take the reins and be the host again at the end? Yeah, yeah. Just, just, just for the end. Just, but I'm actually not taking the reins here. I'm going to hand it over to Neela Steele because Neela Steele has a question for you that she wants to ask. Okay, so jumping in, Frank, we know that you are a very mindful man, and we really want to know how will you bring more mindfulness into 2017 to bring out the best version of Frank Stepnowski? Well... Fortunately, the surgical team at Cooper has done a lot of that for me because two of the things I've joked about this and, you know, obviously with people I've talked to about the surgery, close friends, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting very, a different version from all of my friends of, dude, just chill and do what the doctors tell you to do because they know that the minute you tell me I can't do something, you may as well write it in and mark or I'm going to do it. They're like, just behave. Don't lift anything. Eat the right way. Um, There are a very small handful of things that bring me great joy. Um, And some are never going to change. You know, my my wife, my children, um, friends, books. But um, eating and working out were two of them. Um, food, Food and exercise were two of them. I know that now, oh, I... Believe me when I tell you I know now when I'm allowed to eat again um, and I probably won't be allowed to eat like an unrestricted diet. And by unrestricted, I mean what I eat, not not quantity of it. Uh, I will. I, I, I just shoveled food in. I mean, when you're 280 pounds and you're you're athletic, you just eat uh, when I eat now or drink. I, I am very very there's no other word for it mindful of 
taking my time and savoring it. It's not just a means to an end anymore. Um, working out, lifting weights, um, running, think it's never been taken from me before. I've never had like a major injury that I didn't work through where someone said, you can't do this. So the first time I'm allowed back in the gym and the first time I'm allowed to run up the side of a hill, there, when it's taken away long enough and you dwell on it as I am doing daily. Um, and I think that with that will come a certain appreciation of like knowing that it's never too late to reinvent yourself. Um, as terrifying as it is, I'm not going to lie. It's scary because I have, I have never been the person that I'm going to be, um, over this year, what I'm going to evolve into. Um, so that's going to, that'll inform a lot of my instruction, my students. It'll certainly involve, involve how I parent. Um, so being extremely cognizant of the things that I took for granted previously, uh, will not be a hard thing to do. And I, I hope it informs, uh, every facet of my life going in 2017. That's a great question. And I, and I, I like what you said about, you know, those, your, your whole lifestyle was, uh, fitness and lifting weights and eating well. And you, you also could have taken on this defeatist attitude. Like, why did this happen to me? I'm a fit man. I watch what I eat. I, so you, you can take that for granted. And I think that's more of a reason to be mindful because we, we do take for granted that we're hiking up for hundred steps to, um, an area in Chicoy Terre. And we take for granted that in the future, when we come back and when we're going to do this, you you don't know what state your body is going to be in. You don't know uh, what's going to be thrown your way and all the more reason to really cherish the moment when it is happening in the now instead of racing towards the future. I wrote... Um... I think this is something you'll understand, Neela. I, before I went in for the surgery, I wrote a letter to each of my children and a letter to my wife. I wasn't being morbid, but I knew that it was a, a big surgery and I had all my other you know, financial and things like that ducks in a row. But I, I wanted there to be something. I wanted, some, I wanted them to hear something from me, to, for them to remember me by. And... Um, Although I woke up, uh, I don't know if you saw the picture on Facebook, I look like the love child of Raggedy Andy and Bane when I woke <laughs> up in the recovery room. The first thought I had was, I am really, really going to enjoy this Christmas. And everybody's thinking, you're not going to be able to eat. You're going to be at, like, you're kind of no caffeine. Yeah. Right now. No, 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 no. I'm here. I'm here. And I get to tell the four most important people in my life, myself, what I wanted to say instead of them finding a letter under my desk blotter. So, oh no, there's, there's no, what was me crap happening here. I'm, I'm as happy as any person, you know, right now. That that's, that's beautiful. And thanks for sharing that, that you wrote those, those tender letters to your family. It's important. And it's a good reminder. We, it's a good reminder to not take, uh, such, um, things for granted in our lives. Yeah, we we did a podcast and we had a friend on our podcast the other day, the four times mindfulness, and 
he talked about his pr- Christmas present to his mother, who's like in her 80s, is to write a letter to her and not send it, but to deliver it to her, give it to her, and read it to her. Specifically a gratitude a letter. A gratitude yeah. letter. And it's that idea. So that's what uh, Mike Kuzala is going to do um, for his mom. And it's that idea that, you know, it's, life is precious, you know. So to be able to share our genuine thoughts and feelings and well wishes with our loved ones is, is very precious. So, um, Frank, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the reins here. I Actually, just for a second. And then you can close out the show after Neela Steele goes because Neela Steele now has a a little Christmas gift for for uh, from Neil and I it's, that that she's going to give to you now. So Frank, we're sending you some meta, some loving kindness, and uh, how happy we are that our paths are. First of all, you and Andy crossed paths, but um, Frank. May you be free from internal or external harm. May you have a calm, clear mind and a peaceful, loving heart. May you be physically strong and vital, Frank, and may you experience love, joy, wisdom, and wonder in this world just as it is. And we're sending out a big virtual 20-second hug to you right now. And that's your present, my man. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I don't take that stuff lightly. Thank you very much. And I, we can't wait to maybe one day give you a real hug. We will. You'll be able to get your arms around me now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Frank Stepnowski, you're going to close off the show now. Go ahead. It has been a singular honor to host the 50th go round of Andy Vasily's run your life podcast. Um, I hope you found something in it that you can use. Uh, I know that every time I listen to his podcasts, I do. And I only hope that I held up my end of the bargain as best I could for this time. Thank you to the lovely Neela Steele for assisting and for Andy for being so forthcoming, whatever holidays you practice, have a good time. And Hope to see you guys again. This has been the Run Your Life podcast, this time with Frank Stepnowski and special guest Andy Vasily. Thank you very much, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Run Your Life podcast by Andy Vasily. To check out show notes, get some more information about Andy as well as his guests, head to our website, 21clradio.com.